Uh, so for those of you who are kind of the OG, uh, OGs of Status Quo that were with us from the early days last year, we went down in October, so a year ago actually, to Dallas because we, I, I was told this just unbelievable story that uh, a white police officer had basically barged in to uh, a black man's home, uh, his apartment. Guy was just chilling. Uh, his name was Botham John, uh, hanging out on a Thursday night, and this white police officer intruded in, shot him dead. Um, the Dallas PD, uh, the police down in Texas, gave her every single benefit of the doubt, gave her a glove treatment that no, no black person in America would get. She was out of jail within an hour. She was shielded from the media, so the media could not see her coming out of that jail. She was allowed to go home and had days to scrub her social media. All of this when she literally went into somebody else's apartment and shot him dead. Uh, Botham John was a 26-year-old black man. For those of you that remember, uh, we interviewed his friends, his minister, several people in the community about him. Well, today, today, uh, very, very good news. Uh, Botham John's murderer, Amber Geiger, was quickly, very quickly, found guilty of murder. Um, and now this will proceed to the sentencing phase. A Dallas County jury on Tuesday convicted, fired police officer Amber Geiger of murder for fatally shooting Botham John in his apartment last year. The victim's mother, Allison John, raised her arms in exultation as cheers broke out in the hallway outside the courtroom when the verdict announced shortly after 10.30. And here is a picture of Botham John's mother. You could just see, I mean, the emotion. Obviously, she's not getting her son back, but the emotion of justice, very rare justice, for a black man in America after the jury found Amber Geiger guilty of murder. Uh, we don't know what the sentencing will be, so, uh, you know, today is the day to celebrate, but cops have in the past gotten fairly cushy, lenient sentences. But uh, why I think this is a victory is, you know, Amber Geiger, for those of you that followed the trial, a very quick trial, you know, broke down uh, on the stand saying that she, you know, continuing with her story, that she thought it was her apartment, which was kind of ridiculous from the beginning, um, that she, you know, uh, thought Botham John was rushing to her, that she gave him commands to stand, stand back, which is laughable. Imagine somebody coming, just intruding into your apartment and commanding you to do something, a cop or otherwise. So the whole art, the whole defense from Amber, Amber Geiger was absurd. Uh, it was exposed that the police basically tried to cover the whole thing up, tried to protect her, tried to minimize media coverage, get, sent her to a jail, not in Dallas County, but about half hour away, uh, took her out the back, back exit so no media would see her. She was allowed to scrub all of her media and social media. She forgot her Pinterest, which showed, uh, as both of John's lawyers uh, would show in the case, some fairly Blue Lives Matter uh, kind of bravado cop messages uh, that weren't so kind to minorities. So Amber Geiger, uh, you know, whether it was an accident or not, she shot Botham John because he was black. That's the truth. If she would have intruded in or accidentally went into the wrong apartment, thinking it was somebody else's apartment, I'd venture to guess she might have acted differently if it was a, a white dude sitting on the couch. But 
I don't. Be- I never believed that she thought it was somebody else's apartment. And frankly, thankfully, uh, a jury found her guilty. But even though this is a victory and it's going to trend for a few hours, a, a man's life is lost. Um, 26-year-old. He was from St. Lucia in the Caribbean, came to the United States, went to school here, college, and was working at an accounting firm and doing very well for himself. Was very active in his local church, which I went to, which I'm going to show you an interview to remind you uh, of who this man was. And he also, also was somebody who was very, very passionate about uh, social justice issues. He also, what I was told from uh, his friends and family on the ground, as a black man, always dressed a little bit more polished, a little bit more preppy, so that cops wouldn't suspect him of anything. This is what a black man in America has to do just to avoid getting shot. So Botham John is gone. Uh, Although Amber Geiger is facing today, we believe justice, he's not coming back. So I want to remind you guys, uh, you know, for those of you that have seen this already, my apologies for those that haven't who are newer subscribers. We were down there. We were the only national media on the ground covering this. There was local media covering it, but there was no national media on the ground covering a white police officer barging into a black guy's home and shooting him dead. Shooting him dead. I want to remind you who Botham John was. Here's just a small part of my interview with his minister, uh, Minister Barry, uh, down in Dallas, uh, who Botham was. Tell, tell the audience who was this man that we, we no longer have. Okay. Uh, Botham was a uh, Bible class teacher. He uh, taught the young adults on uh, Wednesday nights, uh, talking about the, the life of Christ. And then he was also a, a worship leader and uh, song leader on Sunday mornings. He would lead us in our uh, singing uh, pretty much every Sunday morning he would lead and then when he was not leading here or the main song leader here many times he would uh, visit other congregations in the in the community and lead singing there as well and uh, was he you know did he have a did he have a sense of humor was he a shy guy was he serious uh, both of them are very outgoing uh, individual uh, he had a very uh, captivating uh, smile he was a, a charismatic uh, individual and and never never met a stranger everybody who knew him uh, uh, loved him uh, he was loved here in in this in this congregation in fact uh, probably maybe two or three weeks before uh, he was he was killed he and I had a conversation about uh, how loved he felt here at the congregation how he felt at home uh, here, but yeah, v- very outgoing individual. Everybody in the church uh, loved him. Everybody in our brotherhood who uh, heard him sing always commented to me about what an excellent uh, song leader he was. He was an individual who uh, loved uh, Jesus Christ. He was a very organized uh, individual. He had even also uh, started to talk to me about uh, changes and improvements that we could make in our worship process here on Sunday morning. In fact, the night that he was he was killed, he was actually working uh, on on that with another individual here. They were texting back and forth, working on that, and that was something that we were getting ready to, to implement in our worship service. But of course, you know, we were never able to, to do that because we, we lost him on September the 6th. 
because he wanted to know everybody and he wanted to feel like at home and everything and so um you know that's the kind of person that he was he just he invests in people and um, once he meets someone that he trusts you know uh he doesn't take it lightly you know he wants to get to know you hang out and everything so um so that's kind of how we started you know i was helping him out uh meeting new people and just uh i guess learning the ropes you would say yeah. uh, here at church so so uh, his mother talked about this a little bit, but he was also uh, pretty active as far as social justice. Uh, basically, kind of, I, I wouldn't say he was like a lead protester, but he went, you know, he protested on behalf of black men that were uh, murdered or uh, after President Trump uh, issued his ban of new people coming into the country. Can you kind of talk about that side of him? Yeah, he was very passionate about social issues and justice for people, um, especially immigrants, because he was an immigrant himself. He was here on a work visa. And just um, knowing that people weren't getting the justice that they deserved, he was very vocal about it. And um, the, it, the order that was issued by Trump um, when he first took office about um, not letting immigrants in or out, um, he didn't sit back and watch the news. He um, saw that there was a peaceful protest going on at DFW, DFW airport, and he was down there, you know, that night. You know, the order had just went down, and he didn't waste any time. He went down there and protested well till 1 or 2 in the morning, you know, and um, it was Sunday morning, and we had church, you know, later on that morning, and he came to church, and uh, he let me know that he was down there and I wasn't surprised because I knew how passionate he was and him being an immigrant he couldn't stand by and let people that were just like him you know get ran over by something like that and so that's the kind of person that he was you know he saw uh, he sees the need and he goes down there and try to fulfill it or support it the best way he can so that was uh so that was uh, a friend of both of them, as well as uh, his minister. And, you know, honestly, I, I'm very happy uh, she was found guilty of murder. Uh, obviously, it would have been a revolt if she wasn't. But I can't help but feel a little bittersweet because I don't feel what the family feels, obviously, or what his, or what his friends feel and his homeland in St. Lucia feels. But... Having covered many uh, police brutality uh, um, issues, um, it still doesn't bring the person back. It still does not bring uh, the person back. Um, and sometimes with these guilty verdicts, uh, we feel good, but we take our eyes off of all the uh, Botham Johns that don't get any justice, because the majority don't get justice. Uh, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Jordan Davis, um, Freddie Gray, uh, the list goes on and on. So um, I'm, I'm very happy she was found guilty, and uh, the work continues, and the reporting continues. Uh, Bernie Sanders, who yesterday Politico wrote, I feel like I've seen the same story written with the same headline in Politico, NBC, Washington Post, pretty much every outlet that's in on the kind of conspiracy against Bernie Sanders. Politico wrote a piece, Bernie Sanders is, is in trouble. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've been covering, I've been honest uh, for weeks. Uh, the polling has been good for Warren. Uh, a lot of the polling, frankly, 
is nonsense. A lot of it is oversampling older people, uh, undersampling younger people, small sample size, but we cannot put our hand, you know, put our heads in the sand. She is rising in the polls quickly, and she is a threat to Bernie Sanders. It would be stupid and, and fact-free to pretend otherwise. Uh, but I also think this Bernie Sanders is in trouble thing is a little overstated as well. Bernie, again, yesterday, Bernie Sanders is in trouble. I tweeted at the time, this article talks about Bernie Sanders being in trouble, but doesn't have many details about why he's in trouble. Well, today, uh, <laughs> Bernie Sanders is in such trouble that he raised $25.3 million in the third quarter from 1.4 million donations. Uh, remember, recently the campaign said uh, that uh, the campaign had passed one, 1 million unique donors, so individual donors, over a million recently they passed. Uh, this 25.3 million was 1.4 million donations. Uh, average donation, still very low, $19. Uh, quote, Bernie is proud to be the only candidate running to defeat Donald Trump, who is 100% funded by grassroots donations, both in the primary and in the general. Sanders campaign manager Fez Shakir said, that's obviously a subtle uh, dig at Elizabeth Warren, who is a calendar progressive. She's progressive during the primary as far as money, which isn't even that factual since she raised a hell of a lot of money in her Senate campaign from big dollar donors, lavish fundraiser, and then just transferred that money into her presidential account. Uh, that's how she was able to hire so much staff in the beginning of the campaign in Iowa because she had that money from her Senate campaign that she moved over to the presidential campaign. Media elites and professional pundits have tried repeatedly to dismiss this campaign, and yet working class Americans keep saying loudly and clearly that they want a political revolution. The final day of the third quarter was the second biggest fundraising day of the campaign. Teacher was the most common occupation of Sanders third quarter donors. The three most common employers were Starbucks, Amazon, and Walmart and the average donation was $18.07. Two out of three, two out of three of the Starbucks, Amazon, and Walmart, Bernie has aggressively fought to raise their wages. Uh, successful with Amazon, might be successful with Walmart uh, the further along we go. And since the campaign's February launch, Sanders has raised, this is an astounding amount, $61.5 million dollars from a total of 3.3 million individual donations for an average contribution of just $19. And more than 99.9% have not maxed out and can give again. So there's a lot of things I think about this, but before I give you my thoughts, you know, give it up. You think the corporate media would just be like, give it up for the burn here, give it up for the burn. You know, let's see what our friend Nate Silver had to say. My general view on fundraising numbers, a bad number can be legitimate bad news since it can jeopardize the sustainability of the campaign. But a good number isn't necessarily great news. Polls, among other metrics, are considerably more predictive of future success. Oh man, they can't just they ch you know, they can't just give it up. They can't just give it up for the men. All this mealy mouth talk out of two sides of my mouth. Granted, he said in a, sub, in a later tweet, uh, you know, but good news for Sanders, blah, 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 blah. But he, he just won't give it up. Then you got this, this elitist from Vox. Bernie's impressive fundraising success sort of calls into question the theory 
that the influence of money in politics is what's stopping politicians from adopting leftist positions. Oh my God. Oh my God. Where do you even begin? So I guess what he's saying is since Bernie's adopting leftist positions, since Bernie's adopting leftist positions, uh, but he's still down in the polls, is money in, is money in politics really what's you know, stopping others from adopting leftist positions? Or is leftist positions just not popular? I think that's what he's saying. So, uh, but hey, today is important because $25 million, it's not just about the money. It's about the grassroots movement. We forget, because Bernie has normalized it, we forget how hard it is to raise money from average working class people. This has never been done, even though the media pretended that Elizabeth Warren has like reinvented the wheel. It has never been done before to raise this kind of money, an average donation of $19. That has never been done in the history of political campaigning. You know, when you see segments like this, let me show you how MSNBC spinned it. ...from Democrats uh, as the, the quarter now has ended. We talk about cash because it means you can put people in the places you need them to try and win. What are you seeing so far? Well, so far, we're seeing big numbers from two candidates who I think were probably frustrated with the narrative that this had become a two-person race. The only two candidates to report their numbers so far, Bernie Sanders and Mayor Pete Buttigieg, both coming out of the gate with big numbers. Bernie Sanders reporting $24 million raised in this past quarter from more than a million donors. And Pete Buttigieg, his total number is down to $19 million from $25 million in the last quarter, but he spent significantly more time in the early states this past quarter than he did the one before. These are the two candidates who I think we can probably agree round out a lot of the top tier here. And as much as the, the language around the campaign over the last week or so has shifted to the idea that this is a Biden-Warren race, we see these two candidates trying to plant their flag and say, don't count us out yet. Now, if I can link this together with the conversation you were just having, both Warren and Biden's numbers will be very interesting when they do come out, because I would argue they're probably the two candidates on the Democratic side most closely associated with the impeachment issue. Biden, of course, because he has been the target of all this from President Trump, and Warren because I think she's probably the most free speaking about the issue of impeachment and it, it coming out very strongly in favor of it. She had a gangbusters number in the second quarter, could lead the field once again. First of all, I love how at the end they say, well, you know, the conversation has really been a two-way race. You mean the, con the conversation that you and your network have manufactured that it's a two-way race? They just talk like, oh, it's a two-way race. You know, the conversation has been about a two, like they're somehow separated from that conversation. They're, they're not driving the conversation. They also are either just nefarious or just stupid because this is the third or fourth time we've had to show you MSNBC putting up wrong numbers, wrong polls. Bernie didn't raise 24 million. He raised 25.3 million. Granted, I haven't watched MSNBC pass that. Hopefully they corrected it. Hopefully it's an innocent mistake, but I don't think so. I think they're trying deliberately. How bad can you be? You know, how incompetent can your graphics people be, your producers? It's the same person that keeps falling victim to these wrong graphics that show his poll numbers incorrectly, that show other candidates above him in polls, even though he's actually above them in the polls. It goes on and on and on. And I also found it interesting that they say, oh, these two candidates round out the top five. No, they don't. 
Pete Buttigieg is nowhere near Bernie Sanders in the majority of the polls. Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg are out in you know, political Siberia. It's a three-way race. A political poll today showed Biden number one, Warren number two, uh, Bernie behind Warren by two points. And like I said, although polls do matter, a lot of the Sanders supporters, the Sanders is a campaign is about organizing. It's very similar, frankly, to what Obama did in 07 and 08, expanding the electorate. It is very much based on the ground, expanding the electorate, getting people that do not vote out to vote. Those people that do not vote are working class people. A lot of minorities, a lot of poor whites, a lot of disenfranchised people that say to hell with it, no one is going to help uh, our situation. That's who Bernie Sanders is going for, and those are not going to show up in the polls. So just like Trump, there was a hidden Trump voter in 2016, whether they didn't want to say they were voting for Trump when called by pollsters or whatever. I do think there's a hidden Sanders support, uh, uh, Sanders voter, but I do think also he needs to do better. And the only way he's going to do better is the fighting mode, Bernie Sanders. But frankly, these numbers matter. Uh, it is very, very hard. I could tell you as an organization, uh, a media organization that's based on small dollars, it's very hard, very hard to raise money from average working class people. So him doing it to the tune of 25.3 million, which they left out of that segment, shockingly, is the most of any campaign. This campaign, nobody has raised that amount of money. And when Pete Buttigieg raised 24 million, that was largely from big dollar donors. So not only is Bernie raising more money, He's raising it from more donations. That means he has a bigger base. But you're never going to hear this context from MSNBC or CNN because Bernie Sanders goes against their very business model. And by popular demand, I'll, I'll play the ad first. Here is Bernie's first television ad, uh, which will be played all over Iowa uh, in the next week, week to month. economically, powerfully influenced my life and my values. Bernie Sanders, fighting to raise wages for American workers, leading the fight to guarantee health care for all, standing up for civil rights, seniors, veterans, and our children's future. Whether it was Wall Street, the drug companies, or other powerful special interests, Bernie has taken them on for us. Now, our country is at a turning point. A dangerous demagogue tearing our nation apart. Hard-working people betrayed by Trump. A health care system that makes enormous profits for drug and insurance companies. And a planet on the brink of a climate disaster. In this moment, we need a fighter. Bernie Sanders. We know he'll fight for us as president because he always has. I'm Bernie Sanders and I approve this message. So that was Bernie's first TV ad, uh, which I thought was really good. I think it showed his consistency on the issues. It showed all, all the entities he's fighting against. Uh, it also showed the, that kind of working class fervor that he has that, frankly, no one else does. Elizabeth Warren might be rising in the polls, but the polls do not show her uh, having, a, having you know, a, a monopoly on working class voters, frankly. Remarkably, uh, Joe Biden has uh, just as many as Bernie uh, voters making $50,000 or less and voters with just high school degrees, with, which is the working class. Those are the voters Bernie needs to pick up. So 
to me, I think a few things. Number one, um, the polls are the polls. I'm not going to be a polling truther. He does need to rise in the polls. But I also think Bernie Sanders, to have a chance to win, was always going to have to do it unconventionally. He's going to have to expand the electorate, right? And I think what his campaign is doing that is not getting any coverage because it requires too much nuance, it requires the corporate media to actually lift a finger and, cut and look, and I hope to look on the campaign trail when we get back out there. What I think Bernie Sanders' campaign needs to do is, number one, keep focusing on expanding the electorate, meaning on the ground organizing, getting people who traditionally do not vote. They, those will not show up in polls. Pollsters do not call people that aren't registered voters or aren't likely voters, meaning they haven't voted in a long time. But there's more people in this country that do not vote than do vote. I also think Bernie Sanders, frankly, I don't care what pill he has to take, he needs to come out swinging in the next debate. He's got 11 people that are going to be on stage with him, including billionaire Tom Steyer, uh, including, uh, I believe, Tulsi is in this next debate, and the, te and the nine others that he was on with last next time. He cannot have another debate like last time. He can't wait to be called on. We need the Bernie from debate number two, who was the fighter. And frankly, I, I think you have to be careful. You don't want to... Uh, you know, hammer Warren over the head, because then the media narrative is going to be Bernie's desperate going after Warren for taking his, uh, you know, voters away, which isn't exactly true. But I think he needs to start pointedly and specifically pointing out differences. And frankly, I would start with with what was in that press release. He needs to say, you know, I'm sorry, but you can't be against money in politics like in certain months on the calendar. You're either against big money uh, in Washington. You're either against special interests uh, controlling all the people on this stage, or you're not. And, you know, my, my friend here, Senator Warren, uh, has taken money from big donors and has said she will continue to. You cannot, you cannot, um, what, what is the phrase? What is the phrase that he said? You cannot overthrow a, a corrupt system by taking their money. He needs to draw that distinction because frankly, the majority of people and those Bernie Sanders supporters that have fled to her, frankly, with, due, with all due respect, haven't done their research enough to know that she's done some interesting accounting uh, to you know, throw this I'm not taking big money, fat cat money. Uh, I also think Bernie Sanders needs to go very directly at Biden and Warren. Again, with Warren, uh, you know, you might want it. I don't think it's good politics to be aggressive towards her. I don't think it's good for any of that. I think Bernie Sanders needs to point out you got one guy here who's going to leave 10 million people un uninsured. The people that are going to get health insurance are still at the mercy of health insurance companies hiking their premiums, hiking their co-pays, co-insurance, deductibles, hidden bills, you name it. There is nothing in Joe, Joe Biden's bill to stop that. My friend over here is doing fundraisers with pharmaceutical executives. And my other friend over here, Elizabeth Warren, you know, she says she's with me, but she has called Medicare for all a framework. I wrote the damn bill, okay? It's not a framework, it's a specific bill, and here are the principles in the bill. My friend over here also, frankly, her campaign has been suggesting she's open to other options. She has phrased that Bernie has given us a runway. 
you cannot have other options. You need a single payer program because a single payer program will not work with a public option. It will not work with a vibrant private health insurance industry. I think Bernie to to a soothe to um, soothe uh, you know anyone who might be nervous could say there will still be private doctors. If you would like to go see a private doctor for something, I'm not abolishing private doctors, but there will not be the, the uh, expansive private health insurance industry. And frankly, I have not met many people that are just dying to pay more co-pays co and deductibles and co-insurance. I also think he needs to say, frankly, he hasn't done the best job at explaining this, that his Medicare for all bill is a tax cut. Bernie, if you're watching, bring a white board. Bring a whiteboard, okay? I've said this over and over again. Put on the right side how much money people are currently paying uh, the average family in premiums, co-pays, deductibles, co-insurance. Put on the left side how much taxes would go up for the average person. Uh, this side will be more. This side will be less. Erase that side. Erase that side. What you have is a tax cut, and the media could spin it any way they want, but you know the stories, Bernie. You could talk about the man, I just covered this last week, that had emergency back surgery, was facing paralysis, got that back surgery, which saved his, saved his body, got hit by a $650,000 bill, $650,000 bill, because insurance said not medically necessary. What about the 13-year-old girl who needed brain surgery? Aetna denied her. They denied her for brain surgery. She has never-ending uh, seizures. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of insurance companies denying people. That's not going to change in Joe in Biden care. And we don't really, and, and frankly, if Elizabeth, and I think you should point this out, my, my, my uh, friend here, Elizabeth Warren, she has some great plans, and she's been known as I have a plan, but on the thing that matters most to voters, health care is number one in the polls. I don't know what her plan is. She says it's mine, but she's kind of talked uh, a little loosely about that she's open to other things. What is her plan? Uh, you know, I, I tell you how it's going to be paid for. How is she going to pay for it? Because the truth is, citizens will have to pay a little bit more, but they're going to save a lot more. And I also think Bernie Sanders is wonderful at, Bernie Sanders is wonderful on the policy. He is, you know, programmatically, he's on autopilot in terms of message discipline. He needs to get more personal. People need to see how affected he is by these. I, on that debate stage, in interviews, I wanna hear him talk about the people he has met on the campaign trail. Why is it, why are you fighting this hard? We know the, the X's and O's on the policy and why it's important, but to connect with that person who's just starting to tune in for the first time uh, to the election, for uh, five, what are we in? Four months before Iowa. Why is this so personal to you? What are the stories you've heard on the campaign trail from people denied care, people rationing insulin and other drugs? He has so far, um, he has so far resisted in terms of talking about his mother, but that was something that made him very, very dedicated to researching and looking for alternatives to the American for-profit system because his mother was sick for many years and he had to help uh, for her help care for her. So people want to see, people want to see why are you basically 
fighting against the entire establishment. Uh, is this just you're stubborn or is there things, uh, ways to connect? But frankly, you know, if you're not going to get any points uh, if you lose for being nice to Elizabeth Warren, you're not going to get, you know, you might still be invited to the Biden or Warren uh, inauguration or whatever or a Christmas party. But this is it, Bernie. You got to go. You got to go down fighting. And I think, frankly, Elizabeth Warren has been allowed uh, she has gotten Obama level, Obama 0708 level adoring media. She has not been challenged by one journalist. She has not been cha- uh, she has not been challenged on the debate stage. Frankly, that might change with Tulsi Gabbard on the debate stage this time around. But she hasn't been challenged, and she's not going to be challenged by the moderators. So it's up to Bernie. I don't want to I don't want to see him go over the line, but he has to draw sharp sharp distinctions. Jen sent this to me. Uh, before this, and this is scary. I'm just letting you know, folks. Donald Trump, I don't think money does buy elections. Uh, Donald Trump was outspent two to one by Hillary Clinton, and he did still win, even though he's outspent. Trump RNC just blew away the Democrats. They just raised $125 billion in the third quarter. All of that money. Can you imagine all that money in Iowa? in New Hampshire, excuse me, in the general election, in critical states, Michigan, Wisconsin, California, um, Ohio, Pennsylvania, about Joe Biden and Ukraine, oh, or Elizabeth Warren and and the Native American stuff. A new video came out uh, today that she was interviewed when she was running for Senate in 2012 in Massachusetts, and the person asked in her home, the, the journalist asked in her home, oh, can you, can you show us some pictures uh, showing your Native American heritage? And she just flatly said, uh, no, not for you. So honestly, the amount of money Trump has to muddy the waters, to, to basically just bomb Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren, uh, a lot of it, frankly, credible issues they have, the Native American thing is not a good thing for Elizabeth Warren. And who knows if the onion is peeled back further, if more is looked into, how many other times she used this Native American heritage to her advantage. Who knows if more is looked into in Biden, uh, with Biden related to Ukraine. Did, 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 his, did his children benefit from him in other countries too, in other ways? Uh, money, this level of money, because that's just $125 billion raised the last three months. That's on top. They already had $100 million in the bank, the RNC, for Trump. So they're going to have a lot of money. I mean, the worst thing they could say about Bernie Sanders is he praised Fidel Castro. And, you know, he's a socialist communist. And I think Bernie Sanders could win that fight. As far as I know, there's no scandals in Bernie Sanders' closet. Just a bunch of, you know, wrinkled shirts from Kohl's. Elizabeth Warren, who the media has essentially, you know, she's reinvented the wheel on all things. She has a plan for everything. She has a plan for, you know, if you have back pain, I have a plan for how you could roll out of bed, you know, safely. I have a plan for everything. I have a plan for everything. But healthcare seems to be a place that she hasn't particularly prioritized. Does not say Medicare for all uh, on, on her website for months. I think it does now, but in kind of vague terms. She will, refuses to answer, whether it's Colbert, whether it's on CNN, she won't answer how she's going to pay uh, for Medicare for All. Uh, she has also talked at length about, well, this is just a fa- framework. Well, 
you know, Bernie, Bernie has created a runway, but there's a lot of different options. As I've showed you before, there's, you know, she said, we'll just got to get everybody just around sitting at a table. Everybody just come together. Yeah. Uh, well, Zaid uh, Jelani, uh, he is with Prospect. Uh, uh, my apologies to Zaid. I don't remember where he is, uh, what outlet he's with, but he was with The Intercept. He does great work. Found this gem uh, from Elizabeth Warren in 2012 uh, running for the Senate. Let's take a look. If you were the Tsarina, something like single-payer health care, government-run payer, far lower administrative costs, that sort of thing, would be the Senator Warren prescription, would it not? I think right now what we have to do, I'm serious about this, I think you've got to stay with what's possible, and I think what we're doing, and look at the dust-up around this, we really need to consolidate our gains around what we've got on this But you do support single-payer, do you not? No, what I've got right now, what I owe. I think you need to go back and take a look at I have what a paragraph. The most obvious solution would be universal single-payer health care. Single-payer care would also free families from dependence on an employer's plan to make certain that everyone right. is covered whether or not they're... You wrote that with a co-op. I, I wrote that with, with two. Yeah. Actually, with two, I think. That's exactly right. But the point is, what we've got to do is we've got to keep moving in the direction of getting more families covered and bringing down the cost of health care. And I think we've taken a big step in that direction. I want to play that one more time and stop at the part that I think is the most important. If you were the Tsarina, something like single-payer health care, government-run payer, far lower administrative costs, that sort of thing, would be the Senator Warren prescription, would it not? I think right now what we have to do, I'm serious about this, I think you've got to stay with what's possible, and I think what we're doing, and look at the dust-up around this, we really need to consolidate our gains around what we've got on this But you do support single-payer, do you not? No, what I've got right now, what I owe, I think you need to go back and take a look. This was not in 2005. This was not in the 90s. This was this decade, 2012. Her saying, uh, we need to stay what's within possible. What's with, we need to stay uh, within what's possible. If I looked away, I, that could have been Hillary Clinton who said that. Uh, we need to stay what, within what's possible. And specifically, specifically, no, when asked if she supported single payer. This was seven years ago, okay? So, I, again, seven years ago, and, and great work. I, I, I never saw this interview. We'll have to dig into some of her other interviews to find inconsistencies. Uh, Jen nor I have had a lot of time because we're also working on a major investigative story behind the scenes, so we're juggling a lot of things. But we'll definitely look through uh, more of her interviews from her time running for Senate, see if we could find any gems like that. But... Seven years ago, you just flat out said no. Right now, you're hemming, you're hawing on, there's a runway, there's, Bernie's given us a runway, we gotta get everyone to the table, it's about, you know, we gotta lower the cost. This is all code for I'm open to other options. I don't feel in my gut. You know, with Elizabeth Warren, there's certain things in her gut that you know, uh, that she cares about and that she's passionate about. Uh, financial reform, um, you know, bankruptcy issues, Wall Street reform, these things. And I give her credit for those things. But Medicare and healthcare doesn't seem to be something truly it, at core, something she believes in. Because if it was, she would have been talking about this years ago. And she would strongly say, I'm for Medicare for all. And that's really the only option uh, that will work to not only bring down the costs, but to cover everybody. Uh, so if you know, when, when they keep saying, oh, there's not much of a difference between Bernie and Warren, and oh, they're kind of in the same sandbox. And even people 
in progressive progressive media and independent media who put this stuff out there. Either they're gaslighting or, or they're truly just naive. It, I, I really don't know. I mean, frankly, there's people at the Young Turks that keep putting out there that Elizabeth Warren is like, you know, they're not saying they're equally progressive, but Elizabeth Warren would be like just as good. Well, based on what? Based on what? The Elizabeth Warren from 2012 when she first ran as a senator, that Elizabeth Warren? Absolutely. Because that Elizabeth Warren, to me at least, was fairly anti-establishment, and she didn't have a record, and she was talking the working class talk. And I, and I really liked that Elizabeth Warren. But the political calculating version of Elizabeth Warren, the one who chose not to endorse Bernie Sanders, the one who kind of sits, sits out certain things based on how it's going to affect her politically, some people might say, uh, and by the way, I'm not just talking about Emma. I, I know a lot of you uh, think like this is a dig uh, at Emma. I know that she's a Warren supporter. This, there's other people in progressive media that kind of keep with this false equivalency that you know, Warren is like, you know, 1B to Bernie. There's a lot of things that frankly should scare the living hell out of true progressives just, just on her, um, her, her kind of flexible um, wording and her flexible actions. I mean, it is not capital P progressive to be signaling you're going to take money for special interests and, and big dollar donors in the general. That's not like a small thing. That's a character integrity issue. That is a, a, a political moral compass issue. Uh, it's not a small thing that she did all this lavish fun, these lavish fundraisers that we're just finding out about uh, in 2018. Basically, like on paper, it was for a Senate re-election, but she, obviously she knew she was running for president and she was just trying to raise this money so she could uh, move, uh, as we saw, 10.4 million of it over into um, her presidential um, her presidential account. And by the way, if you've raised all that money from fat cat donors in uh, your Senate campaign and you've then turned it over to your presidential campaign, two things happen. One, you have a good amount of money to start, so you're able to hire and get a leg up in Iowa. She had more staff than even Bernie did in Iowa in the first months. And you could then say, oh, I'm above the fray. I'm not doing big fundraisers. I'm not taking fat cat money. And then the media picks up that you're, you know, being pure. Well, you're not so pure. You just did selective creative accounting and you raised the money over here before you officially announced. And just it's like, you know, honestly, she has taken big money in her presidential campaign. It's just she took it a couple months before and transferred it over. Um, I don't think it's a small difference. I mean, to me. Not just to me, but on in polls in the in the presidential polls, but also in the exit polls uh, in the midterms, healthcare is the number one issue. So, if this candidate Warren is being classified as I have a plan for everything, uh, well, you don't have a plan for healthcare because you keep going all over the place. It's not just uh, what Zaid found. Uh, she also, this is another thing. Uh, this was her uh, cam- her campaign. Um, one of her top strategist Joe Raspars was on with David Plouffe, Obama's uh, former campaign manager, who's turned into a real establishment stooge, if you ask me. Her campaign manager, or strategist, excuse me, is alluding to the fact that they're open to other ideas on health care. Let's take a listen. All the questions, both at the town halls and on the selfie lines. I don't know how many questions she's getting along these lines at those events, but certainly amongst political reporters, 
there's a sense that, you know, the debates have been pretty strong for Warren, but Super questions great. about how transparent she's being. And, yeah. you know, she has a reputation as a straight shooter around how she paid for health care plans. So I understand she wants to take that question to listen, the benefits for working people, middle class, the net benefit's going to be uh, positive. You know, you're going to ultimately pay less for health care. I think you guys are going to have to be a little bit more specific, though, about how you pay for it, no matter what the net benefit is on the other side. So I think her answers on this, uh, you know, are around the overall cost for, for middle class families and what it's going to be. I think that the question of the pay for is there's a lot of detail still to be filled in in terms of both Bernie's bill that's out there, um, but also the other versions of it. Other candidates have their specific plans. So I think I think there'll be more uh, for that. But I, I think it's important to note that the, the overall cost question is, is not just where she wants to be placing emphasis, but it's also uh, where voters understand the the fault line to be. So I think there's a there's a kind of disingenuousness to the well. Let's talk about let's talk about taxes uh, part of it. But the reality is that the overall cost for middle class families is going to go down. Uh, the health insurance companies are going to stop extracting uh, tens of billions of dollars of profit from the system, and the wealthy and big corporations are going to pay more uh, and pay their fair share to help close the gap. But overall, the, the program of Medicare for All is, is cheaper uh, and less wasteful than, than the current system. And that's something that people get in the first eight seconds of the conversation, uh, whether it's at the door or at a town hall or on the debate stage. Uh, you can complain about the audio, but it's not on my end. That was in that clip. There was something else playing uh, along with uh, that podcast for some reason. It's not on my desktop. So apologies for that. Hopefully you heard, uh, hopefully you heard again with this messaging from her campaign. Again, you're hearing from her, this, this is a framework. You're also hearing now from her campaign, uh, a lot of the details need to be filled in. What does that mean? Bernie Sanders is a hundred page bill. They are filled in. If you disagree with some of the mechanisms in Bernie Sanders bill, then be it, you know, come out and say, I believe in Medicare for all, but I'm going to propose my own plan because I think Bernie's plan uh, is, you know, deficient in area A, B, or C, right? So, you know, they're, they're, they're basically alluding, they're basically uh, alluding to the fact that they're not married to Medicare for all and they're going to move away from Medicare for all. And they are being, with other policies, they're very rigid and specific, with this specific policy that, frankly, is the number one issue to voters, she's all over the place. And her campaign is now alluding to, oh, you know, there's details that need to be filled in, which to me means they're going to create their own health care plan. And I think her plan is going to be another Harris plan that's called Medicare for all, but doesn't completely eliminate the private health insurance industry. And the reason for that is because she is preparing for a general election to take money from Wall Street bankers, healthcare executives, uh, fossil fuel industry, real estate industry, and Silicon Valley, which today, even though uh, leaked audio came out that Mark Zuckerberg said she's an existential threat, because of Warren's uh, plan to break up Facebook and Google, which I actually like that plan. Uh, it's coming out today that Silicon Valley donors are gonna f donate to her anyway, because I think that there is a basic feel among Wall Street, Silicon Valley, you name it, that this is a bit of a wink and a nod progressive. 
that yeah, she's not what that she's not who we want, but she's not gonna like fight hard for the things she's claiming. She's saying what she has to say to get elected, and you know she'll she'll play ball. You know she'll do business the way you know others do business if elected, and she has given them reason to think that. She's going around the country having hot tea with the who's who of the Democratic Party establishment. She is talking behind the scenes with Hillary Clinton. She did these lavish fundraisers during her Senate reelection. And frankly, she is reaching out to Hillary Clinton's base. That's what uh, that's a lot of her campaign strategy is to get the Hillary Clinton voter on her side while still being palatable to the Bernie Sanders voter. Basically, politically speaking, have her cake, eat it, too. Uh, but I think eventually you get exposed if you're not being authentic, and she's not being authentic. And I think Bernie Sanders, like I said earlier, needs to challenge her on this. He needs to challenge her on Medicare for All, uh, because if she's not giving a spe- any specifics on her Medicare for All plan, if she's not, I think she needs to be asked flat out, uh, are you willing to compromise on Medicare for All if elected? Yes or no? Are you willing to compromise if it's not doable? We need to know. Because if she's willing to compromise on that, what else is she willing to compromise on? Uh, this, this development in Flint, I think, is a preview of something very, very unsettling. So you see state settlement could mean a payday for Flint water victims. Obviously, uh, if you remember, uh, all the criminal charges were dropped a few months ago. Uh, there was huge outcry from Flint residents, uh, rightly so. Um, at the time, I thought it could possibly be a, good, be a decent thing. I thought they might be dropping most of the charges uh, to go, over, go after bigger fish. Uh, based on reporting I've done since, I, I think I was not correct on that. Uh, I think that they dropped the criminal charges because they want to settle the cases as quickly as possible and for as little as possible, and they could not uh, do that with these criminal cases hanging over them. Uh, So a source is telling uh, a local uh, Six News that between 25,000 and 30,000 victims of the Flint water crisis will eventually share in a multi-million dollar out-of-court settlement with the state of Michigan. In a story only on Six News, Capitol correspondent Tim Skubik reveals that mediation to resolve this case is moving into its final stages. Thousands of adults and children were exposed to unhealthy levels of lead. Uh, We know that part. Uh, Trial lawyer Michael Pitt is one of the lead lawyers in this class action suit, along with 21 other legal firms, but he has no comment on the impending out-of-court settlement with the state if the talks do not fall apart. After Gretchen Whitmer was elected, along with Attorney General Dana Nessel, it it became clear that they were serious about reaching an out-of-court settlement to avoid a lengthy and perhaps even embarrassing trial. Former Michigan U.S. Senator Carl Levin and other neutral attorneys Last January, we were appointed by a federal judge to decide how the multi-million dollar settlement will be distributed. So let me break this down for you uh, to tell you what's actually going on, rather than this, ridic- this basically press release uh, written by a local news station. The state of Michigan, under a Democratic governor, under a Democratic attorney general, so yes, the, the last governor, Rick Snyder, was the one who basically allowed the poisoning to happen and then covered it up after the fact. But you would think Democrats coming in to power would be a good thing. A multi-million dollar settlement to 30 to 40, involving 30 to 40,000 families? First of all, if memory serves me correct, there was over 100,000 people living in Flint when 
they switched to the Flint River and didn't add the proper chemicals, poisoning over 100,000 people, worst of all, children. My reporting and sources I've spoken with is they should, at a minimum, based on the amount of people that were affected, the amount of illnesses that have resulted, they should be looking at minimum $1 billion spread to the families in Flint, a, a billion dollars. This is being reported that a multi-million dollar lawsuit is being considered. And by the way, I have sources that indicated at one point in this mediation, talks were for $10,000 a person. $10,000 a person? That for some, that doesn't even cover half their medical bills related to being poisoned. $10,000 a person. I have from high on up that this has been discussed in this little mediation with former very establishment Senator Carl Levin. So again, this is just one story, but obviously they have a source. If the Flint water crisis cases are decided, if what Flint gets is anywhere, anywhere, anywhere less than a billion dollars, it is a outrage and a disgrace and an injustice at the highest levels of corruption in this country. And you could thank Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Attorney General Dana Nessel, who are Democrats, but they're in power now. But the thing is, look at it from Governor Whitmer's point of view. If she gives a billion dollars to the residents of Flint out of the state fund, what it... What money does she have for her policies, her initiatives? You know, she ran on fixing, uh, fixing the damn roads and, and whatever else. Where is the money for her initiatives or for her to have a successful governorship if she gives the people of Flint a billion dollars? Essentially, if, let's say, the people of Flint get 350 to $400 million in a settlement, it's a big number. The media will report it as some kind of victory, and that deduces, let's say, to nine to $10,000 per individual. Obviously, no amount of money can change if your kid has brain damage or bone damage or if you lost, the fam lost somebody from pneumonia or cancer. This is rampant throughout Flint, so money is not going to reverse the damage from lead, from bacteria, from cancer-causing chemicals known as PFAS, TTHMs. But are we in this country going to say poor black people, poor white people, poisoned, covered up after, nobody goes to jail for this, and oh, by the way, we'll give you like nine to $10,000 for your poisoning? Is that enough? Is that justice? And again, this is a hypothetical because this, this has not been announced yet, but based on the sources I have, this is the range that has been discussed, anywhere between nine and $10,000 an individual in Flint. That is not enough. I don't know if you agree with me. That is not enough. That will not cover the extra care kids will need. Uh, that will not cover the, the uh, deductibles and co-pays and co-insurance for the people I've met that have cancer treatment they need to get now, never had, never had a history of cancer in their families, now have... Uh, sudden cancers at age 35 or 40. It's not going to cover people with, you know, seizures 
people with liver disease, with kidney disease. A lot of these people are paying out of pocket because their health care does not cover all the things they need, including environmental doctors. And mind you, Flint didn't get Medicare for all. They got temporary, temporary, um, you know, Medicaid expansion. But the residents in Flint that Jen and I have met over and over again are paying out of pocket for their care and going to holistic care and trying all sorts of kind of Eastern medicine and things like that because their government has said, no, we're not giving you Medicare for all. So anything less than a billion dollars to me is one of the greatest injustices aside from these people being poisoned. But I think, unfortunately, that is what this story is previewing. I think this is going to be a drip drip where you see more leaks, where that trial balloon is floated by the lawyers to see what level of outrage will come. And then you're finally going to have, honestly, my guess, and save this video, my guess is you're looking at 300 to $400 million for all of Flint. And that comes down to nine to $10,000 a family, which is an insult to injury, if you ask me.